Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will recap the week that was, including a performance checkup on fixed income sectors and a look at the week ahead. Uh, joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning uh, both Frank Saleo and Barry McAlinden, Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Frank, Barry, welcome back to you both. Thank Thank you for joining us and looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you. So I guess as a starting point, Barry, I'll ask you, what were some of the more notable market events over the past week? Yeah, economic data has really been coming in pretty strongly more recently. So yesterday we had the Philadelphia Fed Manufacturing Index uh, that rose to 39 in November. That was the strongest growth uh, in the region's uh, factory activity since uh, April. Um, you know, despite um, price pressures, you know, persisting. Um, we also had retail sales uh, and industrial production data for October that came in ahead of uh, expectations. So the headline retail sales increased by 1.7% month over month in October and core retail sales by 1.3%. And looking into the data more closely showed consumer spending grew in most of the categories uh, that are tracked in October. Uh, that includes areas like online shopping, uh, electronics, appliances, building materials, um, department stores, and, and also uh, motor vehicles that, as we know, have experienced uh, some slowdown because of the chip shortages um, over the summer. So overall, you know, retail sales um, as a barometer for the consumer um, showing showing strength um, and, you know, helps uh, kind of change the narrative a bit and feeling better about uh, the economy, at least, you know, into the fourth quarter. When you look at um, current projections of four quarter GDP is measured by the Atlanta Fed um, tracking estimate. Uh, that's over 8% currently. Uh, and again, that's been supported by um, consumer spending. You know, that's tracking at about a 5% uh, growth rate, as well as uh, the, the job growth uh, that we've uh, witnessed uh, more, more recently. And, um, you know, it should pave the way again for a constructive growth backdrop into next year. Um, you know, that certainly will be a slowdown from this year's recovery pace, but still quite uh, higher than, you know, we were used to prior to the pandemic. I'll also mention, you know, on the, on the government, uh, agenda, of course, this week we had, um, uh, President Biden signing the bipartisan infrastructure bill uh, into law earlier in the week. Um, you know, that package has a little over a trillion of total spending on infrastructure, um, with about 550 billion, including, uh, you know, new spending, um, and, uh, you know, that will be spread out over the next few years on more traditional infrastructure areas like roads, bridges, water transportation, uh, et cetera. And, it, you know, it did pave the way for uh, the House debate, which we witnessed uh, even in overnight news, uh, you know, on the Build Back Better Act, uh, also known as the Budget you know, Reconciliation Bill. Also, the, the CBO's scoring of that bill, um, you know, paved the way for the uh, House to debate on that. And potentially, um, you know, pass that uh, later today. From from a market perspective, it was kind of relatively quiet. The S and P 500 generally traded sideways, although we did close at, at record highs yesterday. But um, you know, so far this week, week over week, the S P is only up by about 0.5 percent. So um, probably, even though closed at a record high yesterday, not not as significant as it otherwise would be. Particularly in contrast with that sort of nearly straight line rally we saw in the S&P 500 from mid-October through November 8th, 
uh, when the S&P 500 was up by roughly 5% in just three weeks. But you know, one of the things I've talked about in previous podcasts is that since the end of the summer, investors have have really been adjusting to this period of transition, whether we're talking about Fed policy, economic trends, and things like that. And early in the month, we, we, we got a number of key data points, uh, including the October jobs report, the FOMC meeting, uh, which is really important, the Fed tapering announcement, and then last week's CPI. Um, and this week was, was really uh, all about digesting those data points. Uh, as well as as the additional uh, data that uh, Barry had mentioned and, and adjusting to those trends. And I think that the key narrative this week, and, and Barry alluded to this, is that inflation, at least, at, for, at least for now, does not seem to be dampening consumer spending. And that was evidenced in the retail sales numbers that Barry highlighted, um, because inflation really remains uh, top of mind for investors. Last week's CPI headline number uh, of 6.2% year over year was a 30 year high and it, and it really showed a broadening out of inflationary pressures. And then this week, the 10 year break even inflation expectation rates closed at a 15 year high. So again, inflation is, is really, uh, uh, top of mind. And, uh, so, and, and labor market is part of that. Last week, the NFIB Small Business Survey posted new record index levels for price gains and wage increases. So small businesses are really feeling the pressure with respect to labor shortages, really feeling the pressure in terms of high input costs. And um, this is uh, potentially challenging the Fed. So, Dan, inflation remained a major theme this week. And the key question for investors uh, in the weeks and months ahead, most likely, is will inflation uh, drift back? down into the Fed safe zone? Will it support the reflation trade or will it bring demand destruction and stagflation? Of course, at CIO, we're in the, the former camp, but this was the focus this week and it will probably remain uh, remain so in the weeks and months ahead. Okay. Well, Barry, Frank, thank you for recapping the week that was from a macro market standpoint, hitting on some of those points of interest, what has been on tops of minds of investors and how that's all translated to market activity. So, uh, Frank, I'll ask you as a follow-up, as we are now in the last quarter of the year, Q4, how have fixed income markets been performing, generally speaking, and also in the areas that each of you focus on specifically Frank, maybe you can start with this one. Yeah, and I'll start. I'll take those in reverse. I'll start with uh, the preferred sector, which is my area of, of focus. In in preferred stocks, they came into the quarter uh, in kind of a, a, a difficult spot. Preferreds were basically flat in the third quarter, even though for, for most of the quarter, Treasury uh, interest rates, as represented by Treasury yields, had drifted higher, particularly in August and September. So the fact that preferreds were still flat from a performance standpoint in light of those uh, interest rate pressures really meant that value was becoming a bit stretched into the fourth quarter, and that left the preferred sector vulnerable to more rate volatility. And that's exactly what we got. The 10-year Treasury yield began to surge after the Fed's September meeting in late September, September 22nd to be exact, and we saw the 10-year Treasury yield jump from 130 to 160 in about two and a half weeks. And then following slightly more dovish Fed messaging earlier this month, following their November meeting, uh, the 10-year yield dropped back down to 145, but then moved back up to 165 last week after that CPI data that I mentioned uh, earlier. So 
uh, a lot of interest rate volatility in uh, over the past several weeks, and that has really taken a toll on preferreds. The preferred sector is down by about 1% so far this month, in the month of November. So, so far in November, preferreds are showing a loss of about 1%, and that has brought year-to-date returns to just under 2%. For, for the full year 2021 uh, in the $25 par preferred stock sector. Uh, but still in all, you know, relative to some other fixed income sectors like uh, government bonds and investment grade corporates, uh, it's still uh, not that bad because some of these sectors are actually experiencing losses for the full year. Uh, so, Barry, I'll, I, I'll turn it over to you to tell us how other credit sectors and spread markets um, have been performing. Okay, thanks, Frank. Yeah, in the interest rate volatility that, um, you know, you framed, we have been seeing higher quality credit areas like investment grade corporates as an asset class that have been underperforming the more credit sensitive areas like high yield bonds and, and senior loans. So, uh, investment grade bonds, uh, this month are down about 0.4%. Uh, so not quite as uh, much as the 25 par preferred uh, that Frank mentioned. Um, but still pressured by the rate volatility. And year-to-date, investment-grade corporates are down uh, 1.3%. And that's in contrast to you know high-yield bonds that this year are up um, 4.5% currently, and senior loans, which are up 4.9%. And the uh, volatility in rates, uh, you know, it's not something that we expect to go away. Uh, this was um, outlined uh, in the latest uh, fixed income strategist uh, report uh, that uh, you know was published and um, you know was um, described in, in uh, Leslie Falconio's um, lead article in, in top of the morning uh, segment, but you know certainly we, we think about uh, the fixed income landscape uh, and the title was diverging paths and you know that pertains to just again the, the difference that we're seeing in terms of rate volatility versus other um, you know more growth segments like like credit and equity where you know they continue to perform quite well from a spread perspective uh and with credit spreads you know already reflecting kind of late cycle valuations there's not much room for that credit spread improvement to be a buffer for returns into next year so it it is going to be more the same we think you know going forward where spreads kind of bounce around the bottom still generally should be supported by a constructive macro environment, but probably not enough to be a driver of returns. It's really going to be, uh, in, you know, interest rates that fixed income investors will be um, most, you know, sensitive to as it relates to performance. And um, in that regard, I'll just uh, also point out that when you think about uh, the broadest measure of, of the bond market, which is usually an aggregate index, uh, that's currently um, down by about 1.8% this year. And that would be the first negative year if we close out um, in, in the red, the first negative year since 2013, and really only um, a fourth time over the last uh, 30 years where the broad measures of fixed income have uh, would post a negative total return. So it, it's pretty significant, you know, when you do have these um, these periods where rates re- re-rate higher, like we did this year. Um, you know, from a return perspective, it, it, it can, and, and it looks like this year is on track to be one of those 
um, few times where you get a, a negative return for high quality fixed income. Thank you for the performance updates on the respective fixed income subsectors that you both cover, bringing us up to speed in terms of how we got to where we are today with respect to performance. Now, maybe on a going forward basis, as we begin to close out the podcast for today, Barry, what's CIO's overall market outlook and what are some of the key events to look out for in the week ahead? I'll point out uh, the key events on the economic calendar. It'll be uh, durable goods as well as uh, the PCE uh, deflator measure of inflation. So not quite uh, as impactful, I'd say, economic data points as uh, things like uh, the CPI or the jobs report. We'll have to wait to December to get to get those. Um, perhaps what market participants will be paying most uh, attention to will be um, if President Biden does announce his decision uh, on the uh, next Fed chairman. And, you know, of course, uh, this is uh, something that the markets have been thinking about uh, this week. Biden said that the decision would be occurring, uh, you know, pretty shortly. And, you know, we, we've pointed out uh, in CIO publications that, uh, you know, probably the, the safest thing would be for Biden to reappoint um, Powell, which is really kind of our base case assumption. But, um, Lael uh, Brainerd, you know, is seen by some as being more dovish than Powell, but in CIO's view, she's she's really not that far from the center. Um, so maybe, um, you know, that necessarily wouldn't hold true. But there is kind of a path um, where Powell could be reappointed Fed chair, and Brainerd could be appointed uh, appointed vice chair for supervision and. Uh, yeah, that seems like a likely path that markets would respond, I think, uh, favorably to. And say that's, again, probably the most important uh, event that we're looking forward to over the next few days. Hmm. And I would just highlight uh, a couple other things, uh, again, to Barry's point, just uh, maybe not as uh, 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 heavily watched as, say, the jobs report or, or things like that. But we will get personal spending data next week. And by the way, it's a holiday shortened week next week with Thanksgiving. So, um, uh, so maybe a little bit more concentrated in terms of, uh, of potential market impact. Uh, but personal spending will be key uh, as an indicator to let us know uh, further just how strong consumer spending is in, uh, in light of inflationary pressures. We'll also get the minutes of the, of the latest FOMC meeting, um, which will give us some insight into some of the policy debates that are occurring within the Fed. And uh, another uh, key uh, feature to uh, look out for in the weeks ahead, the debt ceiling debate will return. Uh, December 15th has emerged as a key date beyond which the Treasury may run out of funding. Uh, and it's also the date of the next the next FOMC meeting. So December 15th uh, will be a key date in the weeks ahead. And then finally, I, I would just also point out that I mentioned the core PCE. That is the, um, you know, the favored uh, measure by the Fed, Fed's favored measure of inflation. Uh, so that'll probably be uh, more highly watched uh, than otherwise would be. And on, on the on the on the topic of inflation, I should point out because it is such a focus for investors uh, at CIO. We, it, it looks to us that the Fed is being very considerate, considering that uh, inflation distortions that were created by the post-lockdown surge in demand and and the supply chain bottlenecks are really uh, potentially creating some false signals here so they don't want to overreact and um, 
So some of these inflationary signals that we're seeing may not indicate real conditions. So they, we expect the Fed to remain patient and to see how those uh, inflationary trends uh, uh, play out over the next several months. And we think that inflation pressures will fade for a number of reasons. First, we'll probably get uh, some greater equilibrium and normalization in supply-demand trends. The supply chains are beginning to stabilize. Things are starting to prove, uh, improve in places like the Port of L.A., uh, we also expect post-holiday consumer demand to start to decline. So we could see, again, supply-demand equilibrium uh, reached. Oil prices also have been drifting a bit lower this month, and we expect energy prices overall to continue to stabilize. And then finally, as more workers enter the labor force, that should help alleviate some wage pressures. So uh, I did just want to highlight, again, uh, our outlook on inflation, which is that we think it will prove to be transitory. It's proving to be a little bit more uh, durable and longer lasting than initially inspected, uh, expected, but uh, it will uh, resolve itself uh, probably through, uh, although it will probably be elevated through mid-2022, that'll be the key time frame in which a decision needs to be made by the Fed on how to proceed. But in the interim, we do think the environment supports risk assets and we continue to favor equities Okay, well, Frank Barry, as always, very productive conversation to cap off what was a busy week. So thank you for hitting on several key points of interest, including some thoughts on inflation, performance updates across fixed income sectors, and previewing for us the week ahead. If we don't speak ahead of time, I wish you both a nice Thanksgiving holiday, but we will look forward to having you both back on again with us soon. Thank you again for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Have a great week. Thank you very much. And again, today we've been joined by both Frank Saleo and Barry McAlinden, Senior Fixed Income Strategists Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located up on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including the recent publication by Frank Saleo, Barry McAlinden, Preferred Securities, Top Picks, Portfolios, the monthly update. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more or receive a copy of that publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.